Hello again and welcome to another episode of the Ominous Origins Podcast with me, Casey. Of course, this episode is still brought to you by the wonderful people over at MorbidlyBeautiful.com. Go check out Morbidly Beautiful right now for all your horror pop culture needs from interviews, reviews, top 10 lists, and everything in between. They also have a great library of podcasts, which I highly suggest you check out after this episode here. And we're adding a new one, which is going to be a surprise. You'll see, I don't know, in a couple of weeks when they go live on our network here. Now, before we get started, I just have one question for you. Who put Bella in the Witch Elm? Yes, it's a question I've asked before, actually. And for you very long-time listeners, you might remember this episode way back in probably 2014, 2015, 16, maybe somewhere in there. Uh, it has since been archived, and so it no longer exists on the channel. But I wanted to take another look at it for a couple of reasons. One, it's very interesting. Two, it's kind of creepy. Three, it falls in between true crime and mysteries and thrillers and all the other genres of movies everybody likes, but it also has a little bit of a supernatural element, if you believe in that sort of stuff. So that's the question today. Who put Bella in the Witch Elm? Ominous. Ominous. It is an adjective. Sounds like someone breathing. Alright, so buckle up, because this one's a little bit strange. And by a little bit, I mean pretty strange. This one is kind of like the uh, Tom and Shud case, or Shud case, from Australia, which actually took place kind of around the same time as this one, so it's a little bit strange. So for this, we're going to have to go all the way back to 1944, maybe even 43, maybe even earlier than that. It's unsolved, so we don't know the exact origins of this case. But it all started one evening when a couple of kids were goofing around and they found the skeletal remains of a woman inside of a witch elm tree in Hagley Wood, Hagley, which is in Worcestershire, England. Yeah, that's a good fun name to say. I'm going to say that a few times today and it's going to suck. Now, while the remains were skeletonized, meaning it had been there a while, many believe the murder of the victim or the victim had been placed there in around 1941. Of course, being a skeleton, the autopsy was tough to do, and there really isn't much of a report on that. So who was this woman? And where did the phrase, who put Bella in the witch elm come from? Well, we'll get there in just a little bit, because that doesn't come into play until a little bit later. Like I said, it all started in 1943, on April 18th, when four local boys, Robert Hart, Thomas Willits, Bob Farmer, and Fred Payne, were poaching or bird nesting in Hagley Wood, which is part of the Hagley estate belonging to Lord Cobham near Witchbury, when they came across the large witch elm. Now being a big old tree, they figured this was a great place to look for bird's nests. Farmer attempted to climb the tree, but as he did, he glanced down into the hollow trunk and discovered a skull. At first, he believed that to be of an animal, but, you know, it wasn't, because he soon saw some human hair and teeth he realized that he had found a human skull, and they were on land illegally. So Farmer put the skull back and all four boys returned home without mentioning their discovery to anybody. However, upon returning home, the youngest of the boys, Willits, felt uneasy about what he'd seen and decided to report what they'd found to his parents. 
clearly he ain't from the hood because snitches get stitches. Police were obviously called to check in on what they'd found. And upon investigating, they found a little bit more than just a skull. They found an almost complete human skeleton with a shoe, a gold wedding ring, and some fragments of clothing. The skull was valuable evidence in that it still had some tufts of hair and a clear dental pattern, despite missing some teeth. After investigating further, the remains of a hand were found some distance from the tree. Naturally, the body was sent to forensics for examination by James Webster. He quickly established that it was of a female who had been dead for at least 18 months, placing the time of death on or before October 1941. Webster also discovered a section of taffeta in her mouth, suggesting that she had died from suffocation. From the measurements of the trunk in which the body had been discovered, it also deduced that it must have been placed there still warm, quote-unquote, after the killing as it could not have fit once rigor mortis had taken hold, which makes sense because, well, body gets stiff, you're not going to be able to jam it into a tiny little tree trunk, even if the tree was rather large. Now, this was around World War II, so a lot of people were going missing, a lot of people were running away, and it was just hard to keep track of anybody, really. So police had a difficult time establishing who this woman was. They cross-referenced the details they had with reports of missing persons throughout the region, but none of them really seemed to match the evidence. In addition, they contacted dentists all over the country since dentistry was quite distinctive, but they had no such luck. Now, let's get to that graffiti, shall we? Yes, who put Bella in the witch elm was a spot of graffiti, which appeared in 1944, and it was obviously related to the mystery. The graffiti in question appeared on a wall in Upper Dean Street, Birmingham, reading Who Put Bella Down the Witch Elm? Hagley Wood. This provided investigators with several new leads for tracing who the victim could have been. Other messages in the same hand appeared, too, since then. Since at least the 1970s, similar graffiti has sporadically appeared on the Hagley Obelisk near where the woman's body was discovered, which asks the slightly modified question. Who put Bella in the Witch Elm? As opposed to who put Bella down the Witch Elm? Hagley Wood. I don't think you need the Hagley Wood part anymore. People probably understand who this is and what tree she was put down and in which place. So now that we have the backstory out of the way, who was Bella? Why was she in the Witch Elm? And what the fuck happened? So there's a lot of theories about who this woman was from satanic rituals to German spies to basically anything you can think of because it's a mystery and people just like to draw conclusions and make up their own shit as they go along. Kind of like this podcast, really. Anyway. In a Radio 4 program first broadcast in August of 2014, Steve Punt suggested two possible victims. One possible victim was reported by the police in 1944 by a Birmingham sex worker. In the report, she stated that another sex worker called Bella, who worked on the Hagley Road, had disappeared about three years previously. The name Bella, or Lou Bella, suggested the graffiti writer was probably aware of the identity of the victim. So do you think that the, the murderer was kind of leaving calling cards around with this graffiti? It's possible. I mean, it wouldn't be the first time an English serial killer decided to taunt police and, well, members of the public in general. I'm looking at you, Jack the Ripper. It's a possibility that this was a taunt, that this was, uh, I put Bella down the witch elm tree. And only I know who I am, so tough titties. 
Now, a second possibility came from a statement made to the police in 1953 by Una Mossop, in which she had said her ex-husband, Jack Mossop, had confessed to family members that he and a Dutchman called Van Ralt had put the woman in the tree. Mossop and Van Ralt met for a drink at the Littleton Arms Pub, which was a pub in Hagley. Later that night, Mossop said the woman became drunk and passed out while they were driving. The men put her in a hollow tree in the woods in the hopes that she would wake up in the morning and be frightened and see the error of her ways. So it's kind of like a folk story. You know, don't get into a stranger's car. Always check the back seat before you get into a car. All the, you know, good car urban legends. And if this were true, then it obviously wouldn't be a case of, well, second or first degree murder. It would be like a manslaughter type of thing. If that was even a thing way back then, I don't know. Regardless, these two men put this woman in the trunk of a tree for some reason as a way to scare her. Uh, I think there are better ways to get a message across, but hey, what do I know? I'm not from 1941 England. Now, Jack Mossop was confined to a Stratford mental hospital because he had reoccurring dreams of a woman staring at him from a tree. Now, I suppose... Putting an unconscious drunk woman down a tree trunk would lead to some nightmares, especially if you found out later that she had died. I digress, though. Mossop died in the hospital before the body in the witch realm was ever even found. The likelihood of this being the actual correct explanation is questionable because Una Mossop did not come forward with this information until more than 10 years after Jack's death. So if she's trying to protect him, why not just wait till he died and be like, look, there's a body in a fucking tree somewhere, you gotta go find it. Because, yeah... My husband done did fucked up. Anyway, let's continue with more theories because they're fun. Another theory comes from an MI5 declassified file about Joseph Jacobs, the last man to be put to death in the Tower of London on August 15th, 1941. An Abwer agent, he parachuted into Cambridgeshire in 1941 but broke his ankles when he landed and soon was arrested by the Home Guard. On his person was a photo of his lover, or so he said, who was a German cabaret singer and actress named Clara Barrell. Jacobs said that she was being trained as a spy and that he had made contact. She might have been sent over to England after him. However, there is no evidence that Clara was parachuted into England. And several witnesses described that Clara was around six feet tall, which is tall for that time, especially for a woman, while Bella was only about five feet tall. So it can't be the same person. In 2016, in September, it was determined that Clara had died in Berlin on December 16th, 1942. So again, not the Bella in the Witch Elm. More theories. Yes, more theories. We've got a couple more, and then we'll go into them a little bit deeper. In 1945, Margaret Murray, an anthropologist and archaeologist at the University of London, proposed a more radical theory. Now here we get to the supernatural fun stuff with witchcraft. Now, she believed that the severing of one hand was consistent with a ritual called the Hand of Glory, which we'll get to in a second, after the victim had been killed by gypsies during an occult ritual. Her ideas excited the local press as any sort of satanic, pagan, witchcraft, anything of that sort at that time would, and it led investigators to consider another seemingly ritualistic killing of a man, Charles Watton, in nearby Lower Quinton. Now, what's the Hand of Glory? It's a great question. Let's take a little look and see just what that is. So, the long and short of the Hand of Glory is that it is a dried and pickled hand of a hanged man, or in this case, a woman, often specified as being the left hand, 
or if the person was hanged or murdered, the hand that did the deed. So if it was a gun and the trigger finger on the right hand pulled the trigger, then, well, that's the hand that gets cut off. Old European beliefs attribute great powers to a hand of glory combined with a candle made from the fat of the corpse of the same malefactor who died on the gallows. So it's kind of like a nice do-your-self project. Let's go to Michael's and get a right hand and some human fat called Tyler Durden up. I'm sure he's got some lying around. Anyway, the candle made, lighted, and placed as if a candlestick in the hand of glory, and it would have rendered motionless all persons whom it was presented. The process for preparing the hand and the candle are described in the 18th century documents with certain steps disputed due to difficulty in properly translating phrases from that era. The concept inspired a whole lot of poems and short stories from the 19th century. So that's it. So that's the occult Hand of Glory and why it plays a small, maybe potential part in the Who Put Bella in the Witch Elm saga. And one last theory we have here takes place in 1953 and is surfaced because of the name of a Dutch woman called Clarabella Dronkers. Now she had been killed by a German spy ring consisting of a British officer, a Dutchman, and a music hall artist for quote-unquote knowing too much. Available records and evidence were unable to support this theory, but it's an interesting one because it does take place around the war, some allies, and some axes people. So before we get into some more details and theories, I want to go over this article The Independent wrote in 2013. Now the report is from somebody called Alison Vale, who writes for The Independent. And she wrote this very interesting piece, and I'm going to go over quite a bit of it actually, because it's very well written and it details a lot of the case that I just kind of skimmed over in my little uh, synopsis, I guess you could call it, of who Bella and the Witch Elm was. So she starts her story with, The story starts as dusk fell on Hagley Woods in Worcestershire on the 18th of April, 1943. Four young boys with a passion for bird nesting stumbled upon a heavily hollowed out elm tree. The slightest of the group climbed up to peer inside its hollow trunk where he discovered a human skull. This is all stuff we went over. Now these boys were obviously terrified and they swore a pact of silence and fled, but Tommy Willits, as we said, the youngest one, got some stitches because he snitches. That's right, he didn't actually get stitches for that. He did a good thing by reporting the crime to the police. Pathologist Professor James Webster concluded that the remains belonged to a woman aged 35 to 40 who had been placed in while still warm as we went over earlier as well. She had been in there for at least 18 months and a cause of death was attributed to asphyxiation on account of a portion of fabric found deep inside of her mouth. Now, after six months of searching the countryside for any missing persons that resemble this woman, as well as painstakingly going over her teeth records with various dentists in the country, police were at a standstill. Nothing happened. That is until the graffiti appeared. Who put Bella down the witch elm? Suggesting that someone knew more than they were letting on. Naturally, the police have a name now. So what do they do? They, well, they go into further detail on a person called Bella. It's a name, it's something to go on. However, this line of inquiry was not successful either, and the search of national dental records also proved fruitless, I guess looking for people with the name Bella, or some sort of Bella, Isabella, Cubella, Carabella, anything like that, but nothing showed up. This woman was apparently missed by nobody. It wasn't until two years later that the case came across the desk of Professor 
Margaret Murray. Yes, the Hand of Glory woman. And she said maybe it's a ritualistic murder. It's not impossible, of course. The press ate this shit up, and they connected it to a man called Charles Watson, who was found in a nearby village of Flora Quinton, dead, pinned to the ground with a pitchfork, very reminiscent of the Frankenstein days. Now, this was a time in England where in the 1950s, witchcraft had taken hold of popular imagination. Then in 1953, a woman calling herself Anna contacted the Wolverhampton Express and Star claiming to have known Bella's killers. She met police in secret, but details of her story were drip-fed to the public by a local columnist writing as Quisitor. Anna sent the case in a new direction, espionage. She claimed that Bella had been murdered by a German spy ring involving a British officer, a Dutchman, and a music hall artist. It was indeed highly plausible. The region's many munitions factories had made it a prime target for Nazi intelligence, and they even designed the Birmingham Blitz around it. The public embraced the link between Hagleywood murder and espionage with relish. Good word, Allison. After all, we're now in the Cold War and James Bond had already made his debut in Ian Fleming's Casino Royale. Police soon dismissed talk of the occult and concluded that the finger and bones had been scattered by animals, not by a satanic coven. Despite Anna's leads, the investigation began to gather dust. That is until 1968, when the writer Donald McCormick revisited both murders in his book, Murder by Witchcraft. He asserted that Bella had been a Nazi spy and occultist named Clarabella, a woman well-known by several senior Nazis recruited by the Abwehr and given the codename Clara. He claimed to have gained access to Abwehr records, which indicated that she had parachuted into the West Midlands in 1941 but subsequently failed to make any radio contact and disappeared. Furthermore, at least one piece of contemporary graffiti, he claimed, referred not to Bella, but to Clarabella. It was an entertaining, if boldly, uncorroborated theory and did nothing to help bring the case to a resolution. Fast forward 33 years later, and the mystery endured despite continuing media interest, including from The Independent, which revisited the story in 1999. But the official closure of uh, the investigation and publication of the case file had allowed it to be re-examined, and a startling conclusion presented itself. The police's final review acknowledges that while there would have been some merit in a DNA investigation, they have been unable to ascertain where Bella was laid to rest. But they overlooked the fact that after the post-mortem, Bella's remains were not buried by the local constabulary but were in fact passed on, yes, not buried, but passed on to Professor Webster's colleagues at the University of Birmingham for more unofficial tests. The police were looking for Bella in the wrong cemetery. McCormick's theory may lack hard evidence, but in the 1960s, there were only limited lines of inquiry available. He certainly couldn't have had access to wartime MI5 files, which detailed the interrogation of a Czech-born Gestapo agent named Joseph Jacobs, and he was arrested by the Home Guard after parachuting into Cambridgeshire in 1941, as we went over earlier. His declassified file at the National Archives contains a photograph carried by Jacobs at the time of his arrest, which throws McCormick's claims into fascinating reality. The woman in the photograph was named by Jacobs as cabaret singer and German movie actress Clara Barrell. 
Jacobs told his interrogators that Claire was his lover and that they had first met in Hamburg where she had been singing at the Café Dreyer with the Et Orchestra. She was well connected with senior Nazis and had been recruited as a secret agent. She was due to parachute into the Midlands after Jacobs had established radio contact, but he claimed that since he had been captured before, he could send word this was now unlikely to happen. MI5 learned that Beryl had been born in Stuttgart in 1906, making her 35. She was indeed a cabaret artist. In fact, she had spent two years working in the music halls of West Midlands before the war and was said to speak English with a Birmingham accent. It isn't difficult to see how Claire Burrell might have been more easily remembered as Clarabella by English music hall audiences, and Anna would later allege that a connection between a Bella espionage and music hall in her letter to the Quisitor in 1953. The timings of these desperate strands of the story are remarkably convergent. Jacob said that Claire had been due to parachute in the West Midlands in the spring of 1941. Curiously, there appears to be no gramophone recordings, live performances, or movie appearances bearing her name after this date. Her singing career appears to have come to an abrupt end. McCormick's agent Clara parachuted into the West Midlands in early 1941 and subsequently failed to make radio contact. Jacobs failed to convince MI5 that he could be reliably turned. In any case, MI5 noted in a memo that news of his capture was no secret, saying, quote, on account of the inability of the Home Guard to keep their mouths shut. Yes, interesting. On August 15th, 1941, he was executed by firing squad, the last man to be put to death at the Tower of London. Now, I do realize that this kind of contradicts something I said earlier where they said that this Clarabella or Clara or whatever her name really was died in Germany of 1942. Well, sadly, that is correct because this article is a little bit outdated and was written in 2013. And the information that Clara Baurel, I don't know how to say that name, Baurel, Borel, whatever, that information wasn't disclosed until 2016, where a report of her death certificate and autopsy surfaced online stating that she, Claire Barrel, Burrell, whatever, <laughs> I fuck that up the entire time. It was found that she had died, indeed, in December of 1942. So, so much for solving the crime, but still a really well-written article by The Independent and Alison Vale. Now, we'll never find out who this woman was, why she was put into an elm tree. Was it really as easy as the two guys putting a drunken person down a tree is kind of a prank to scare them into not drinking anymore? It's possible. They say the simplest solution is often the most correct one. But what do you think? Was it a German spy? Was it witchcraft? Was it one of the theories that we didn't even touch on that may be out there that I don't know about? Let me know. Hit me up on social media. But that's going to do it for me today. Don't know why I'm going Scottish now, but here we are. Anyway, this is the end of the episode. My name is Casey. This has been the Ominous Origins Podcast. If you do like what you heard, please feel free to leave a five-star rating on Spotify. Yes, you can do that now. Only on mobile, though, for some reason, as far as I know. But if you do leave a five-star rating, that would be great. Thirteen people have done so as of this recording, which is fucking fantastic. If you do leave that five-star rating, do feel free to shoot me a message anywhere you can find me online, and I'll let the uh, the people know that you were kind enough to leave that rating. 
You can still go the old-fashioned route and leave a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts as well. Any five-star ratings there will be read out on the show, so that's a great way to get a shout-out as well. Do follow me on social media on Instagram at OminousOriginsPod, on Twitter at HorrorShotsProd is in production, or on Facebook at HorrorShots. So, until next time...